think about when you think about a family. As I was studying for the sermon, I, I looked up the definition of the word family in a dictionary. And there were several meanings. One was a, a fundamental societal group in a socially typical in a socially in, in socially typically consisting of a man and a woman and their offspring. Two or more people who share goals and values have long term commitments to one another and reside usually in the same dwelling place. All the members of a household under one roof. A group of persons sharing common ancestry, lineage, especially a distinguished lineage. And then this one was funny. A locally independent organized crime unit. Now, while all of these were accurate definitions, I don't really think they paint the picture that most of us see when we think about what a family is. Families are intended to be a place of encouragement, acceptance, and love. Meant to be a place where we know that we're welcomed, where we know that we're cared for, and we know that people will look out for us and do what is for our good. And that's the way a church is supposed to be as well. What would it look like for a church, a local church, to function as a family that loved one another and was devoted to one another in this way? That's what we're going to talk about today. Open your Bible to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. It's page 866 if you have a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Romans 12 and 9. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. The title of the message this morning is Devoted to One Another. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, you have... You have established the church as a place where people are to gather, to be connected together, to love one another, to be a part of one another's life, to help, to strengthen, to encourage, to even bless. And Lord, that's what we want our church to be. That's what we want to be, Lord. We want to be a people who further that end, who live out your ideas and your dreams for what the church is supposed to be. Father, today as we look at what it is to be devoted to one another in love. Help us to take this to heart. Father, let your Holy Spirit take the word and examine us with it to, to see, Lord, if we are all that we're supposed to be in this regard. And Lord, if we're not, show us. I mean, make it very clear that you are speaking, that you are dealing, that you are calling us to change in this area of our lives. Father, fill this place today with your spirit and your glory. Let us know that you're here. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I can speak your words and your ways for your glory and not my own. Be glorified today in all that happens. And help us, Lord, help us to be changed. Help us to be more like Jesus and more of what you'd have us to be. And let this church be a family that is devoted to one another in love as you intended it to be. We ask in the precious name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now, this passage, it really starts in Romans 12, 1. Where Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In a lot of ways, everything in Romans 12 flows out of that idea. And here's the way it goes. In light of the mercies of God, when we understand all that God has done for us and all of the mercy he has given us in our lives, The natural result of that is that we will give ourselves to God as living sacrifices. We will devote ourselves to Him. Our lives, our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, our actions, our reactions, our priorities and our values. Well, once we do that, once we put ourselves on the altar and we give Him everything and we say it's all for you, well, then we naturally then begin to live out all of this stuff here. And one of the the ways that we will live differently because of the mercy of God and our offering ourselves as a living sacrifice is that we we love other people. A natural outflow of experiencing the love of God is that we love others. When I have given myself as a living sacrifice to God, I will treat people differently because of that. Now, in verse 10 Paul says that we're to be kindly affectionate to one another. Now, it's my understanding that in the Greek, kindly affectionate, it's one word. And it carries with it the the idea of devotion. The idea of of having a devoted love to someone. Right? So it's, it's more than I think, well, they're a good person or they're okay. It is really more of a, I love them and I, I'm devoted to them in my life. And that devotion, it goes with a, a brotherly love. Now, brotherly love is, it's a word that's used in the Greek, and it's used about 220 times in the New Testament, referring to the church and the way that that we are to consider one another, to treat one another, to act around one another. This is a love that causes us to look out and to care for one another. It's a love that, that causes us to forgive one another, to bear with one another, to receive one another. Typically, this is a, a love that is shown in families. It, is, it refers to a family love. And that is the kind of love that all believers are to have for one another. You know, we often refer to our church as a church family. And that's meant to be something that's more than a cool saying. It's meant to be the reality of how we live our lives, how we're to feel about one another. We are to love one another as though we are a family because we are a family. We have the same Savior. We are indwelt by the same Spirit and we have been adopted by the same Heavenly Father. Within the church, particularly within the local church, we are to consider one another as more than people that we sit by and worship with and know on a casual basis. We are to consider one another to be a family and to love one another with the kind of love and devotion that families have for each other. I think the NIV does a great job of translating verse 10 when it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's the picture. That's what we're supposed to do. We are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Being devoted to one another in brotherly love is not meant to be optional for believers in Jesus Christ. It is meant to be the way that we 
we live amongst one another. Right? Our love for one another, it causes us to be devoted to one another. Right? And that is the, the main idea that we need to understand today. Love for one another produces devotion to one another. I should love you enough to be devoted to you. You should love me enough to be devoted to me. And you should love one another enough to be devoted to one another. That's the way it's intended to be. Now, the question, though, is what would that look like? What does this kind of love, this devoted love, what does it look like? We're going to look at several things here. And then we're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians to look at two more. But there's first four are here. The first is devoted love is genuine. Devoted love is genuine. Paul says in verse 9 that, that we're to let love be without hypocrisy. Now hypocrisy initially a hypocrite was an actor. A hypocrite was an actor that played a part on stage. They carried around masks and they would put on one mask to be one person and a different mask to be another person. They were playing the part. And it didn't have a negative connotation really until Jesus came along. And then Jesus come along and he begins to talk about the Pharisees and the religious leaders as hypocrites, as actors. They were playing a part. Now, they weren't playing a part of being different people. The part they were playing was of being devoted to God. They pretended that they loved God. They pretended that they were serving God. But deep in their hearts, they were something different. It was just a facade, a mask that they put on. When they went out in public. Now, the picture here is that our love for one another, it's meant to be genuine. Right. We are truly supposed to love one another, not just pretend, not fake it. We're not supposed to to just endure one another. We're not supposed to just be able to stand one another. Our love isn't meant to be something that we put on a mask and say, oh, I just love them. They're so wonderful. And then we take it off and go, gosh, I hate them. Right? We're, we're not supposed to be actors. Jesus did not save us to play a part of anything. He saved us to actually be something. And something that we're meant to be is a people that love one another so that we're devoted to one another. Listen to this quote by theologian John Calvin. This is a great quote on, the, on love. It is difficult to express how ingenuine... How ingenious almost all men are in counterfeiting a love which they do not really possess. They deceive not only others, but also themselves. While they persuade themselves that they have a true love for those they not only treat with neglect, but also, in fact, reject. But we aren't supposed to fake it. We're not supposed to pretend we should actually love one another. Jesus said in the Gospel of John that we are to love one another in the same way that he has loved us. Now, that's a high standard. And typically, we want to take that and we do want to narrow the list of who that means. My, my wife or my kids, people who love me. But that's not what Jesus said. We are to love one another. That's, he was talking to the disciples. That is, a, that is an application to the church. We are to love one another in here. Just in the way that Jesus has loved us. That, that's the standard. 
That's what we're shooting for. That's what we're supposed to be. And it's supposed to be genuine, not not pretend. But the real way that we feel about one another. In fact, it is so important that Jesus said that our love for one another, loving each other as he has loved us, that would be the distinguishing mark of his followers. But not not suits and ties, not a particular style of music, not a Bible version, not baptism. Our love for one another. That is what testifies to a lost and a dying world that we truly Believe in Jesus and we follow Him. Loving one another in a way that we are devoted to one another, that's not optional for the believer in Jesus Christ. But we will never love one another in that way until that love is genuine, free of hypocrisy. Secondly, devoted love is discerning. Now this one's interesting. He goes on in in verse 9 and says, Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, this seems out of place because culture today tells us that if you love someone, you just accept them how they are. Not that if you if you really love someone, then then whatever they say or do or believe or act or anything like that, it, it always has to be okay. And if you disagree with them in any way, then you are unloving. Then you are really you're not like Jesus at all. I mean, the most unchristlike thing our culture says you can do is disagree with someone. It's tell them that something they believe or do is wrong. But there's a problem with that mindset. That's not what Jesus actually did. Now, to be sure, Jesus loves sinners. And to be sure, Jesus was a friend of sinners. But make no mistake, he did not accept the sinner's sin. Ever. He always called on them to repent of their sin, to believe in him, to take up their cross and to follow him. Think about the woman caught in the very act of adultery. He did say, neither do I condemn you. But that's not the end of his statement, was it? What did he go on and say from there? Now go and sin no more. He wasn't going to just tell her to go to live And her mutually accepting lifestyle as long as she was happy. As believers in Jesus Christ, we we do not genuinely, devotedly love someone if we affirm them in their sin. We're told to abhor what is evil. Now, abhor is a strong word. It means hate. Despise. The sin. Despise what is evil, but we cling to what is good. Now, that is the way that we're supposed to be. And how can we do that? I mean, how can I, if someone I love, if they're doing something that is wrong, the Bible calls sin, how on earth can I abhor that and still love them in a way that Jesus has said that we should love them? Well, the reality is we abhor sin because we love them. We abhor the sin because we have a devoted love for them. When we truly love someone, we want what is best for them. We do not want them to have things in their life that will harm them or destroy them. As believers, we know what the Bible says. We know that sin has a soul-destroying effect on a person's life. 
We know that sin destroys a relationship with Jesus. We know that sin has earthly consequences that often destroy lives. How could I love you? How could I claim to love you and yet affirm you in something that I know will destroy you? How could I say, no, that's okay, I just love you, and you go do that knowing that it's destroying their soul? Knowing that it is destroying their life, their relationship with God, and could eventually damn them for all of eternity. There is nothing loving about affirming someone in their sin. There is nothing loving about confirming someone in their sin. Devoted love is willing to have hard conversations. Devoted love is willing to say things that need to be said, even though it's uncomfortable. So we have discernment. We abhor what's evil. We cling to what's good. We do everything we can to help them turn from the evil and turn to the good. I don't really love you and you don't really love me. If you let me do things that destroy me. And if I let you do things that destroy you. And I affirm it. That's good. As long as you're happy. As long as you feel good about it. I'm okay with it. Devoted love. Abhors what's evil. Clings to what's good. It's discerning in a person's life. This kind of discerning love. It's not optional. In fact. In a few weeks we're going to look. At Galatians 6, where if someone is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, what are you supposed to do? Go and have the hard conversation. Try to restore them. Why? Because I love you. And you love me. And that's not meant to be an optional thing. And we don't have a devoted love for one another unless we're discerning and willing to have that hard conversation. Thirdly, devoted love gives honor. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Now, the idea of giving honor is that you're able to put others ahead of yourself. Now, there, are, there are selfish people and there are people who give honor. The selfish person wants to be honored. They want everybody to say, look at me, praise me, tell me how good I am. On the other hand, the, the other person, they say, I, I don't worry about me. Man, you did a great job. That was wonderful what you did. Man, I, it is amazing to see how God's working in your life. That they're willing to give honor to other people. And again, love is what motivates this. Right? When I love you, I can put you ahead of me. When I love you, it takes nothing away from me for you to be honored. If I truly love you as I should, then someone acknowledging what you're doing, someone saying that's great or God's working in your life or, or anything like that, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't take away from me. I don't feel less because you're being elevated. That's love. Now, I'll be honest. Our church isn't real good about that. And that's my fault. I, I was thinking about that this week. I, I don't guess I have ever made a real big point to publicly praise those that do what we do here. Um, but man, we have a lot of wonderful people here. Our deacons are fantastic. So we, this church has gone, this church has gone long times without a pastor. So I'm not nearly as important 
to the continued function of the church as the deacons are. They, they've been here, and I would, I'm not saying they're old, but many of them have been here longer than I've been alive. Right? They have done a tremendous job. We have Sunday school teachers that teach classes that faithfully study and work to teach a lesson to kids and other adults. We have song leaders that play and pick songs and musicians that play musical instruments and people that mow the lawn and that change the light bulbs and fix the things that go wrong. There are a lot of folks that do a lot more than I do to make sure that this all works the way it should. And we've got to, we, we, I have to be better at giving honor because truly, I love those folks. And when I love someone, when we love someone, we can give them the honor that they deserve. There's nothing wrong with giving honor to those to whom honor is due. That is a very biblical thing that we're supposed to do. When I have a devoted love to you, then I can honor you and I can let you be honored. And I don't feel jealous. It doesn't take away from me. Fourthly, a devoted love meets needs. Look at verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 13. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. This also connects back to the idea of love. And one of the things that, that would happen in, these, in this day was not uncommon for believers to suffer. Primarily for their faith. Because they believed in Jesus, they may lose their jobs. Because they believed in Jesus, they may lose their family. Because they believe in Jesus, they may end up suffering in some way. And they would lose the ability to provide for the basic necessities of their life. But that was okay. Because they had a family that loved them and was devoted to them. And would help them in that time of need. They would distribute to the needs of the saints. They would show hospitality to them. We see this a lot in the book of Acts. Acts has probably the best picture of it of all time. And take some time this week and read Acts 4 particularly. But in Acts 4, the church is beginning to suffer. People are losing their jobs. Money is going away. There's no food. People don't have the basic necessities. But the church there, well, they love one another with a devoted love. And so they began to, to take steps to help feed and clothe and house those that don't have any food or clothing or a place to stay. And what's amazing is that they didn't just like, they didn't give their junk to their brothers in Christ and their sisters in Christ. They didn't have a garage sale and get rid of the stuff they didn't want anyway and give that. Acts says they, they sold houses and lands. To give. And, and, and when they gave it, they had such a love and a trust for the people of the church, they didn't even say, well, you can only give it to, to this family and make sure they know I did it. The Bible says they brought the money and they laid it at the feet of the apostles and basically said, you distribute it how you know it needs to be done. Nobody even, I mean, there aren't even names given to many of them. They just, they didn't need the credit. They, their, their family needed help. And they were there. To help them. That's what family does. When you love someone, you, you can't stand to see them not have what they need to have. I mean, again, we're not talking iPhone 7s and things like that. We're talking the basic necessities of life. Now, what we see in Acts 4 
I mean, that's unusual, right? To sell an extra house, to sell extra land and, and give it to be distributed as it needs. That's, that's unusual. That's not a natural way for most people to respond. But I think that's kind of the point of the story. The point is that Jesus had so changed these people that their brothers and sisters in Christ were, they were a legitimate family. I mean, if my mom and dad had a need like that, I would sell anything extra I could to help them. Probably you would for your wife, for your children, or your grandchildren, or somebody in your family like that too. And that's the way we are as a family. It's not meant to be normal. It's not meant to be the way we live and act on a natural level. It is a supernatural thing that happens within us. Jesus Christ has made us so differently and has given us such a heart for these other people that we will do whatever it takes to help them out in their time of need, to get them through, to see them through on that. And this sort of a a sacrificial love that meets needs, it's not meant to be optional. For the believer in Jesus Christ. When we love one another and we're devoted to one another, this is, this is what we'll do. As I was studying on this, though, I came to a realization. Love is kind of a difficult thing, isn't it? I mean, I want you to... Okay, I want to do a, a play pretend with you for a second, all right? I want you to... To play along with me. Picture someone in your mind that you don't like. Not me, but someone else that you don't like. Right? And and they're a believer, right? So don't pick, you know, Saddam Hussein or anything like that. Someone you know that's a believer that you don't like. You know who I'm talking about. Now, I want you to close your mind, close your eyes, and I want you to say to yourself, I love you, I love you, I love you three times. Okay, do it. Okay, do you, did, did your attitude about them change in that time frame? Do you now love them when you didn't before? Nope, and therein lies the rub. Scripture obviously commands us to love people in pretty amazing ways. I mean, this sort of devoted love is, I mean, it's a command. It's an expectation. None of that is extra. None of that is optional. That's the, ba- the way we're supposed to live. But we can't. I mean, I can't just make myself love someone. And I'm reasonably sure you can't just make yourself love someone either. So what do we do? Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 9, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. We urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Two further points about this kind of love, to love one another, that we're devoted to one another, that we learn in these two verses. First is that devoted love comes from Jesus. He said he didn't have a need to write to them about brotherly love because they did it. But notice what he says. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. But there is something that happens within us once we believe in Jesus Christ that helps us 
to begin to love others as we're supposed to. When we're saved, Jesus changes us. And one of these changes is it begins to make it possible for us to love people we didn't love before. He begins to teach us to produce this within us. And and this idea that Jesus teaches us to love or that we're taught by God to love one another, it helps make sense of another passage. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But notice this last part. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, that love there, that's not just referring, well, if I don't love God, that means I don't know God. It means love one another, one another, each other as believers. That's what it's talking about all through there. Let us love one another for the love for one another is of God. And everyone who loves one another is born of God and knows God. He who does not love one another does not know God. I mean, think about that. Someone who professes faith in Jesus Christ, but does not love other believers. John says, does not actually know God. They're not actually saved. Now, I wouldn't say that because that's a very hard statement. And I've often wondered, how can that be possible? Maybe John just didn't know some of the people that I knew. right? I mean, how is it possible that if I don't love other believers, that really is a sign I don't know God. I'm not saved to begin with. Well... Paul answers that here. Because once we know God, he begins to teach us to love others as he has loved us. See, salvation, it doesn't just change our eternal destiny. It changes that. But it makes changes in the here and the now. Right? We, we don't pray a prayer and then get up the same And live exactly the same until the day that we die. And then suddenly we go home to glory. That's not the way it works. Once we believe in Jesus, God begins to do a work in our lives to change us so that we can be more and more like Jesus. And the more I become like Jesus, guess what happens? I begin to love others. I begin to love them As Jesus has loved me. The more I become overwhelmed at the love of God for me. The more that spills over into the way I can love others. There is a a supernatural work. The Spirit of God does when He comes within us once we're saved. And that makes us more and more like Jesus. And one of the results of that is... I start to love in the way that Jesus loved. I care about people in the way that Jesus cared about people. Now, this may not be a, I don't know that this is a quick once for all, boom, right? It is just something that happens over time. Transformation is a constant process. We are constantly being changed from glory to glory, being made more and more like Jesus. So this isn't a once for all thing. But there should be something within each one of us that says, I need to love these people. I need to love them and be devoted to them. I, I, need, I need to love them enough that my love is free of hypocrisy. That I, I, I should love them enough to be discerning about what's going on in their lives. 
I should love them enough to be able to give honor to them without feeling jealous. I should love them enough to help them in their time of need. I should love them. This isn't for me. This is something that comes from the outside. Loving one another with a love for one another that produces a devotion to one another. It's not optional. It's the way every believer is meant to live. But we don't have to produce it on our own. Jesus will produce it within us. And then finally, devoted love continually grows. And indeed, you do toward all of the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That you do love, he says. Don't give up. Increase, grow and love them more and more. And I think that's important. Right? Because how many of you know that love grows? Right? I mean, husbands and wives, do you love your spouse as much or more than you did on the day that you were married? Right? Parents, do you love your kids as much or more than you did on the day they were born? Now, if they're teenagers, you don't have to answer that question. But otherwise, it grows more and more. Right. So that beginning stages of I I care for them, I care for you people. That's the that's the beginning embers. But then it should grow more and more in our love for one another. And it should be something that constantly grows. The more that we are together, the more that we go through together, the more that we one another, one another, the more that we love each other. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be. That till we just continually love and grow and care and are concerned and do what we can for one another. Now, growing in our love for one another, again, it's not meant to be optional. We're supposed to grow. But growing in love is kind of like loving. It's not something that we can do on our own. I can't just make myself love someone more. But there are things that I can do that will position me so that the love I have for other believers will grow. And here's what those three things are quickly. One, I must want to love this way. And I'm going to say this is the key one. If you don't do this one, you won't do the others. Can I say with real honesty and just plainness? One of the reasons we often don't love this way is because we don't want to love this way. I mean... How many of you think all oh, that's kind of challenging? That's going to require something of me, isn't it? It's going to require something of you. I'll never love that way unless I want to love that way. That is the biggest obstacle to any of us, loving one another in such a way that we're devoted to one another. I have to want it. But if I want it, then I can begin to pray to love this way. Now, God has commanded us to love in this way. Jesus has said we're supposed to love this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So, everything is for us. Right? If God has commanded us to do it, God will always enable us to do it. There's nothing that God has ever said for you and I to do that He is not going to help us and make it so that we can. But in many cases, we have to ask Him for help. Right? That shows that we want it. We have to go to Him and say, Lord, help me to love my church family, as you have said. And it may be a particular person. Lord, help me to love this person. 
in the way that you said I should because I feel a real issue there. Right? But we have to pray and ask God to produce this within us. Now, I have found that God answers this, this prayer. I mean, this prayer is God's will. We can absolutely pray in confidence that if we want God to produce this kind of love within us, He absolutely will. So if I really want to love one another in a way that makes me be devoted to one another, then I pray. God, produce this kind of devoted love within me. But then I must surrender to love this way. In the end, I'm going to have to surrender. I'm going to have to make a choice. Because even when God begins to produce it within me, I'm going to have to choose to surrender to God and do the things that He wants me to do. The best I can tell, God does not force us to change. He could. But as a, a general rule in my experience, what God does is God says, this is what I want you to do. And then he wants us to choose his way because it's best. It's kind of like Psalm 32 where we're told not to be like the, the mule or the horse right, that has to be forced around. Instead, what God wants is for God for him to say, OK, love one another. And we would say, you know, I want to do it because you want me to do it, Lord. So God, help me and produce this within me. And Lord, that even means for that person over there, you know who I'm talking about, God. Help me to love them in that way also. Now, the thing about surrender, though, it's only surrender when we don't want to do it. Right? And that's where it gets difficult. We don't surrender to do things we want to do. We just do them. I don't surrender to eat bacon. I would have to surrender to eat turkey bacon. Those are not the same thing. Right? Anytime there are going to be difficulties in loving one another in a way that makes us devoted to one another. And in those moments when it's hard, we'll make a choice about whether to surrender to God or to do our own thing. It's not surrender until we don't want to do it. Now, surrender... It may mean we have to, to let go of selfishness. Right? Because again, you look at those things. I can't love someone in that way and be selfish. I have to let go of that. I have to surrender my selfishness. It may mean I have to let go of pride. Because I, I can't honor someone else. If I'm proud, I'll be jealous. It may mean I have to let go of surrender a grudge. Maybe I just don't like someone because of something they did or something I perceived that they did to me at some point in the past. I'm going to have to surrender that and let it go. It may mean that I have to... I mean, there's just no telling what it may mean that I'll have to do. But whatever it is that, that we have to do, we have to do it. If we are to love one another in a way that makes us devoted to one another. We have to be willing to surrender to whatever God shows us that we need to do. Now, what we've looked at today is difficult. I know that. And some will push back and say, well, that's just not, just not who I am naturally. And I'm not going to disagree with you. Not everybody is naturally loving. But here's the reality. Who we are naturally is irrelevant to the discussion. At no point in time does Jesus call on us to be who we are naturally. He calls us to be something different that is supernatural. Because 
He shed His blood for our sins and for our lives to set us free. He has placed His Holy Spirit within us. Who we are to be is not who we are naturally. It is who we are supernaturally through His Spirit so that we can be like Him. So the fact that I'm not naturally a loving person does not matter. It's irrelevant to the discussion. The question is, do you want to be who Jesus wants you to be? Are you willing to pray for Jesus to make you who He wants you to be? Are you willing to submit to Jesus, surrender to Him, so that you can be who He wants you to be? All that we've talked about today... This is what a church is supposed to be. But a church will never be this unless the people are that. That there is no nebulous entity called the Northridge Free Will Baptist Church that loves one another with a devoted love. Instead, there's us. We're the people. If we're a loving church, it is only because we are a loving people. If we are not a loving church, that's on us too. It's because we are not a loving people. So whatever we think our church ought to be, that's what we have to be. God wants us to be a church that loves one another in such a way that we're devoted to one another. Are you willing to be who Jesus wants you to be? Let's stand.